This week, if you remember, we're looking at the line in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus famously teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, before I get to my needs, my wants, my wishes, Father, I just want you to know that whatever the answer is, your will before my will, your kingdom before my kingdom. God, I want you to know that I'm going to declare your greatness and then I want you to know that I'm surrendering all of me to all of you. I want you to know right up front that your agenda for my family comes before my agenda for my family. Your agenda for whether or not I get married comes before my agenda. Your agenda for my money, for my health, your agenda for my career, for my kids' future, whether we even have kids, all of that. I just want you to know before I get to all of that stuff, because got to be honest, it's pressing down on me and I'm feeling the pressure of it pretty intensely right now. I want you to know before we get to that, I'm fully surrendered to your will for my life. I'm saying your kingdom, not mine. Your will before mine on earth, which means in my world as it is in heaven. All that being said, I think we get what it is to pray for God's will. Might not find it easy. I mean, let's face it, it's pretty challenging, isn't it? But we do get it. Perhaps what we're not so clear on is what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come. Jesus said that we're to pray to God, your kingdom come. But what does that really mean? What exactly would be different in the world today if the kingdom would have fully come. Well, look, my aim over the next few days is to try and fuel your imagination with pictures of what this might physically look like. But first things first, if you're looking for a quick explanation, the kingdom of God, in a nutshell speaks of the sphere of God's sovereign, dynamic, eternal rule. It's the place where God is king. It's that sphere in which whatever God desires is what happens. Very simply, here on earth, God's kingdom extends to every place where his people live under his rule and reign and his blessing. That is God's kingdom. Now look, this may sound highly simplistic, but actually these simple words do contain tremendous depth. You see, God longs for human beings to enjoy an intimate relationship with him However, as he's perfect and holy and just, that is possible only as we submit 
to his loving rule and reign and turn our backs on sin, turn our backs on living our way instead of his, which actually is life at its best, life as it was designed to be lived. That's what we see, don't we, at the creation in the Garden of Eden all the way up until the fall. But as we know, tragically, human beings disobey God. They come out from under his blessing. And the consequences are absolutely devastating, not just for humanity, but for the whole creation. Everything is spoiled. But in his great love, God promises to put things right again and re-establish his kingdom, his rule, his reign here on earth. And really, the rest of the Bible tells the unfolding story of the fulfilment of that promise, partially in Israel's history in the Old Testament and then perfectly through Jesus Christ. If you remember, Jesus burst onto the scene proclaiming that the kingdom of God was near. It was at hand. It was coming. It was in our midst. It was forcefully advancing. Jesus' whole message was about the reality of this kingdom, that the kingdom he talks about here in this prayer, that that was his whole message. That's his gospel. That's the good news. So, for example, when Mark, right at the start of his gospel in chapter 1, is summarising the gospel, summarising the good news that Jesus proclaimed. This is what he says. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. That's the gospel. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Just to say, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he's not saying it's just kind of getting a bit closer. No, he's saying it is now available. I tell you, in human history, one life has already been lived on this earth in the flesh in which God's will had unhindered sway. Jesus bore in his own person, in his flesh and blood, the reality of the kingdom of God. And everybody that saw him, they saw a life lived in the reality of God, a life in which whatever God desired is what was chosen. And Jesus says to the people of his day, and to you and to me, it is now possible it's now possible for human beings to live in the presence and the power of God. You, you can do this right now, and it's the greatest offer you will ever have. And if you want it more than anything else, which surely any sane person would, then Jesus says, just follow me. Just be my fully devoted follower, and you will learn from me how to live in my Father's kingdom. You know, we talk sometimes, don't we, about the power of vision. Jesus cast the ultimate, most compelling vision that the human race has ever heard. And when 
Men and women heard it and understood it. They devoted their hearts to it. They sacrificed their possessions for it. They sacrificed their careers for it. They sacrificed their homes for it. They lived for it. They died for it. And they did it with joy. They did it with joy. They did it laughing and weeping and dancing and able to believe their good fortune that the kingdom of God was open to the likes of them. That was Jesus' life, and that was his teaching. I'll tell you, most, if not all, of his ministry can be understood simply in terms of bringing in the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it. Kingdom of God, it was the central theme of his preaching. Matthew's Gospel alone, there are over 50 references to the kingdom What's more, Jesus explained his miracles in terms of there being evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand. The primary significance of Jesus' miracles, the primary significance of his miraculous work was to authenticate the presence of the kingdom of God here on earth. The main reason that Jesus did miracles was so that people could know that the kingdom was now a reality. If you remember, there was an occasion where Jesus is talking about the fact that he had driven out demons. And some people said that he was doing it by an evil power. So he demonstrates that this really wasn't the case. And he says in Matthew 12, verse 28, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, Jesus' miraculous works were like signs pointing to the presence of the kingdom of God. And they still are today. And then, of course, ultimately, through his death and resurrection, Jesus was making a way for the likes of us to escape from the kingdom of darkness and find our home in the light of God's kingdom. From beginning to end, Jesus' life can be understood in terms of bringing in the kingdom. Now, this is all well and good. But as we've seen already, our understanding of what this kingdom actually looks like, it tends to be rather hazy, doesn't it? I guess it's fair to say that for us today, words such as king and kingdom, they tend to have far less of a forceful feel to them than perhaps they had in Jesus' day. Fortunately then, Jesus announced his message primarily through vivid, concrete parables. What I want to do over the next couple of days then is just pick up on some of the main themes and images and pictures that the Bible and Jesus in particular used to illustrate what it would look like if God's kingdom came, if his will were done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what's to come. But for now, why not just spend some moments thanking Jesus for welcoming you into his kingdom and why not pray for him to open your eyes to what it means to live under his kingship his rule his reign and to serve as citizens of his kingdom